so caught up in the singing and thinking about our time together this morning that I completely forgot to set up any of the electronic stuff and even download my um, PowerPoint until I was just walking up here. So that look of panic and shock as I was trying to get things going here, thankfully we're good. All right. <laughs> uh, this morning we continue our study of Second Corinthians and we are in chapter 4 this morning. This morning we're going to be focusing on chapter 4 verses 7 through 18. And that's found uh, beginning on page 965 in the Bibles that are provided for you there in the rows. And again, just as by way of reminder, we find ourselves this morning uh, still in the middle of Paul's uh, defense and explanation of uh, the ministry that God had called him to. He was an apostle under attack as it, uh, in in the Corinthian church as it related to how the church viewed him, but also uh, in relation to false teachers that had infiltrated the church. And so he is engaging in a lengthy explanation and defense of the gospel ministry. But it is a defense that relates to our witness and our understanding of faithfulness in the Christian life as well. Let's look to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the, body of, in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be, may, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I belie believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in the life of this church. And Lord, I pray for help in preaching well the truth that you have set before us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters and even those that have yet to come to know you. Lord, for help that they would hear well. 
And Lord, that we would all respond as we ought in faith to your word. Lord, I, I thank you for the knowledge that you are at work building your church. Lord, I thank you for the comfort in knowing that you are at work in the midst of our trials. And even more than that, Lord, I thank you for the promise of, of, of eternal joy and rest in you that we have through Christ our Lord. Lord, may this reality shape us and prepare us to be even more faithful for all that we face in life. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning with a quote from John Piper who has written much about a topic that we don't often like to talk about, but it is something that each of us will face in this life probably at various times and in various ways, and that is the topic of suffering. Piper writes, Suffering in the path of Christian obedience with joy, because the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life, Psalm 63.3, suffering in the path of the Christian Suffering in the path of Christian obedience with joy is the clearest display of the worth of God in our lives. Therefore, faith-filled suffering is essential in this world for the most intense, authentic worship. When we are most satisfied with God in suffering, He will be most glorified us in, in us in worship. Our problem is not styles of music. Our problem is styles of life. When we embrace more affliction for the worth of Christ, there will be more fruit in the worship of Christ. That's deep, right? Suffering in direct relation to our worship. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the goal, and when we talk about suffering and, and we wrestle with the reality of suffering, is, is not to somehow make an idol out of Suffering, where we go out and we look for ways to suffer even more. We're not monks who, who want to flog ourselves into a, a, a greater sense of, of worship of God because we are somehow beating out the bad within us. But suffering as it relates to our lives in this fallen world, as we seek to be faithful followers of Christ, will take place. Both suffering that is common to all people, we deal with suffering as it relates to physical suffering, sickness, illness. We suffer the loss of those that we care about. And yes, sometimes we even suffer for our faith, as we learned about the suffering that's going on in Nigeria. These things are realities. And how we suffer matters. In fact, that is the question, right? How will we suffer well in this lost world? And perhaps the second question will be, what will we suffer for in this lost world? And while my topic this morning may sound depressing or discouraging in some ways, make no mistake, what I want to do this morning in preaching this word to you is actually increase your joy so that as you suffer, your eyes will be on the one who provides true joy, eternal joy. So that we, with all that we face, in the good and the bad, our eyes will be to the one that is truly glorious. 
suffering. It's real. How can we suffer in a way that increases our faith? I want to begin this morning by by sharing a a story uh, that I've used uh, at least once before, but hopefully it's so long ago you old-timers don't remember it, or if you do, you'll be encouraged by it, and you new-timers will hear it for the first time. But this is a true story that was told uh, originally by Michael Card. He he was a a well-known Christian music artist back in the uh, 80s and 90s, and I believe he's actually pastoring a church nowadays. But this is the story of Joseph, who was an African tribesman. It says, one day Joseph, who was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing that he wanted to do was return to his own village and share the same good news with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door telling everyone he met about the cross of of Jesus and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the crown, while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole, and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later... Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him beaten him, were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. And the entire village had come to Christ. Brothers and sisters, The gospel that we have been entrusted with is a gospel 
that is worth suffering for. Joseph understood that the message that he had to take to his fellow villagers was the only message of hope that they had. So much so that he was willing to subject himself and, uh, to almost being beaten to the point of death, not once, not twice, but three times in order to tell his friends and family of the one who lived and died for them. The gospel that saved Joseph and saved his village is the same gospel that saved us. It's the same gospel that can save our friends and family that do not know him. It's the same gospel that Christians in Nigeria are dying for. This gospel is, is the treasure that Paul writes about here in 2 Corinthians. It's the message that God had entrusted he and, and the other apostles and those associated with them to take around the known world. And as they took that message around the world, they suffered. They, they suffered as believers. They, they suffered with hunger and lacking. They suffered with illness. But yet they continued faithfully because they understood that the message that they had to take to the world was worth it. Do we recognize, brothers and sisters, that it is worth it in our lives? That is the question. This morning, the Apostle Paul describes the ministry of the gospel, first of all, as a treasure, but then he goes on to describe the great cost that it was for him to be faithful in proclaiming that message. Now, we may not face the same trials that, that our brothers and sisters in Nigeria are facing at this time. But the value of the message and the need for that message proclaimed is just as great here as it is there. This morning, we're going to tackle this powerful section of 2 Corinthians under three headings. First of all, we want to, to consider a treasure that is stored in weakness. Secondly, we want to consider faithfulness and God's continued or ongoing glory. And finally, we're going to consider how the Apostle Paul was strengthened by the reality of God's future glory, all with the hope and prayer that we ourselves would be more faithful and find our strength in the same things that strengthen Paul and his fellow ministers. So let's first consider a treasure stored in weakness. Verses 7 through 12. The Apostle Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Treasure stored in weakness. Let's, let's consider this idea of the gospel as, treasure, as the treasure from, from 2 Corinthians verses 4, 1 through 6. This is the passage that we focused on last week. But let me read it to you again. Now remember in chapter 3, Paul had finished up by com contrasting this new covenant, this ministry of the gospel, with the old covenant, the ministry of Moses, which brought the law. He's, he takes chapter 3 to emphasize why the gospel is greater. And so he continues, he says, Therefore, having this ministry, this ministry where God opens the eyes of unbelievers and shines the light of the gospel of Christ onto their hearts, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to help to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that treasure is the gospel and the light that it brings in, in, into the, the darkened hearts of unbelievers. And, and so Paul says, we have this treasure in what? <laughs> Jars of clay. This is a humbling description of, of, of himself and, those, and really all of us. Jars of clay were, 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 were common vessels that, that were used in those times. Okay? Paul's not describing the fine china. Clay pots were, were disposable. Probably a, a good modern equivalent of jars of clay would be the, the food that we get our fa or the packages that we get our fast food in. Now these are of particular value in the wicker home because when they are brought in the house, that means we are getting Chinese food from our favorite restaurant in Mount Joy. They're very valuable then because you can look in and you see the good yum-yums and we're excited about that and we take the food out and we put them on our plates and, and we save them, obviously. We have one to put other food in later, but the, the treasure comes when Chinese comes to town. All right, that's good stuff. We, we get excited about it. We're not excited about the container, okay? These get used and, and eventually lost and left at school, and no one, not even Angela, sheds a tear that it's gone. It's disposable. And, and really, that's what Paul's saying when he says, we have this treasure, this incredible treasure, 
stored in us disposable people. Well, why would Paul go at such great lengths? He's, he's not having a, a pity party. He's not degrading his usefulness to God. But he's making something very clear to the Corinthians who had a real problem being impressed with and really idolizing people, much like the church in America today. We want to elevate leaders, our favorite teachers, our authors, who certainly, if they are faithful to God's word, can be gifts to the church, but were never designed to be elevated to a place where we often do that. Well, the Corinthians were guilty as well. Paul says, listen, no. The gospel and the work of God in salvation are the treasure. We're clay pots. You know what else they use clay pots for? To carry their human waste out of the house. Paul says, listen, you've got a problem. You're not treasuring the right things. We want you not to worship us or or idolize us. We want you to come to know the God who gave us this treasure, this treasure of the gospel which saves the church. And this really is an encouraging reminder, is it not, of where the power truly lies. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That phrase surpassing power is a powerful one in the Greek. Paul's describing an exceedingly great power, a powerful power, if you will. He's emphasizing the fact that, listen, this is of the Lord. And we need to to, to see that. We need to see that when God is at work, it is God who is doing the work. It's God's name who is being magnified. It's God's gospel and God's spirit at work in the hearts and minds of of unbelievers, bringing them to the knowledge of, of the light of truth. So we delight not or or, or glory not in people that God may have gifted to deliver a message, but in the work of God as those people are faithful to the message. For nine and a half years, I've worked hard to make sure that you are not impressed with me. And I think I've done a pretty good job. It's a lot to work with. A lot to be unimpressed by. But how impressive is God? Before Wes left us to go and pastor in York, I reminded him, I was like, so brother, the best thing you can be is the donkey that Jesus rides in on. Impress them with the Lord, not yourself. But that's not just true of pastors, brothers and sisters. It is true of each and every one of us because we have been called, each and every one of us, to be ministers of the new covenant. 
ambassadors, if you will, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you hold a title in a church or not, that is God's calling on our life to, to be faithful in proclaiming that truth. And we want the lost, whether they be friends and family members or total strangers to us, to be more enamored with how great God is than they are by, by, by how clever we may think we are in presenting a message. Paul makes it clear this exceeding power, this powerful power is of the Lord, not of us. It's a treasure wrapped up in a fast food container. But it's the greatest treasure there is. Or actually, more correctly, it's the means to the greatest treasure there is being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. In verses 8 and 9, Paul describes what we could call paradoxes of suffering and weakness. He doesn't just stop by saying, God is the one who brings the power. He goes on to describe, listen, this is how we clay pots are treated. We jars of clay. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Now I say paradoxes because on one hand, Paul is saying, look at these tough things that are happening to us, but understand God is sustaining us in this this idea of being afflicted. In the Greek, the, the, the word that's translated afflicted means to be squeezed in or pressed in upon. Has in mind this idea of, and I experienced this Friday night, being in a, in, a, in a place where there were literally thousands of people and you try to get out and walk around and, and you got some people going one direction and you're trying to go against them, what happens in a situation like that? You're coming in contact with people. They're pushing against you. You, you want to get out. They're trying to get in. And, and, and you feel what? You feel pressure. And that's what Paul is describing here with afflicted. He's like, listen, I have pressure all around. It is pressing in. It is squeezing about me. There's the, the pressures of physical illness. Remember, Paul had disease. There's the pressure of worrying about the churches. There's the pressure of dealing with false teachers. There's the pressure of physical persecution. There's the pressure of being in prison. There's the pressure of disasters like shipwrecked and, and it's all crushing around me. But you know what? I'm not crushed in the midst of all this pressure, Paul says. God is at work. The treasure is still there. He moves on, he says, we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. This is one of those cases where really the, the English just cannot capture what is going on in the Greek. 
Paul actually uses two rhyming words. It's a play on words where the second Greek word actually strengthens the first. So Paul is, is emphasizing this idea of being perplexed. He says, circumstances, sometimes I don't even know what God is doing, basically is what Paul is saying here. I, I don't understand why certain things are happening the way that they do. We're confused at times, but we are never confounded because our eyes are on the one who entrusted us with the treasure. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You don't know why you are facing what you are facing. Is God punishing me? Well, if you're Christian, God has punished Jesus already for you. But why are these bad things happening? I can't answer that. <laughs> But the call on our lives isn't necessarily to figure out why every bad thing happens in our lives, but to continue to look to the one who will sustain us and carry us through our darkest times. Now listen, that might sound trite, but understand that is the furthest thing from my intention this morning. I want to equip you to understand that although you may be confused about what you're facing in life, God continually calls us to himself to trust him even when we cannot see a way out or what is coming next. Sometimes God reveals the why, but oftentimes he does not. But the how is never in doubt. Continually look to the one that will keep you from being confounded by this world. Temporary circumstances are confusing. Why? Because we are finite. We are limited in our understanding of this world. Smartest person in this room, I don't know who you are. I know who it's not. But you don't know an nth of what God knows concerning what he's doing in this world. And that's good. That's a good thing. We're called to cling to him. Paul continues, persecuted but not forsaken. That idea of, uh, of persecution means to be pursued. And, and we learned in, in the study of the book of Acts that the apostle Paul was pursued everywhere he went. He would go to a city, he would preach the gospel. Who was close at hand? The Jews who were following him, seeking to cause trouble and undermine his ministry. The Judaizers. Paul says, listen, everywhere I go, I know what it means to be followed. I've been imprisoned by these people. But through it all, God has not forsaken me. Nor will he forsake his people, brothers and sisters. And finally, Paul says, we're struck down, but not destroyed. And that phrase, struck down, specifically indicates to be hit by a weapon. We're beaten for the sake of the gospel. And Paul knew what it meant to be beaten, did he not? Stick with us. You'll, you'll find out how much here when we get to the end of 2 Corinthians. But Paul knew what it meant to suffer as a Christian. He says, even in the midst of that, we are not destroyed. 
Brothers and sisters, if the Apostle Paul, who was probably way more spiritual than many of us on our good days, if he understood that his life would be marked by these things, and yet he embraced God's call on his life, how much more can we trust God in our times of need? We must. We must. More, more on this in a few minutes, but we must, brothers and sisters, if we are to be faithful in this lost and dying world. Paul goes on to, in, in verses 10 through 12 to, to describe death and life and, and the treasure revealed. Let me read those verses to you. He continues, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul makes it clear that the, the weakness that he suffered as an apostle and as a minister of the gospel was so that the power of Christ would be displayed in his life. And we can see that, can we not? As we consider the life of the apostle Paul, not that he walked around in, in, in victory everywhere he went when he proclaimed the gospel. It wasn't like hundreds of people were coming to faith in Christ. Sometimes he caused a riot when he did that. Sometimes people responded. But if he lived his life simply focused on the highs and lows, then, 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 then he certainly had more lows from an earthly perspective than he did highs, did he not? Yes. Yes, he did. But he understood that that was part of God's plan for him. His life was an ongoing testimony, just like Joseph, the, the story I shared to begin this morning. His life, all that he endured for the churches and the sake of the gospel, testified in the, in the loudest possible terms how vital the gospel and being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ really is. If it wasn't important then he should have packed it up and gone home, right? Why deal with, with all that Paul dealt with? Just think about from the church of Corinth alone. Here he went and shared the gospel with these people and, and he's gone a, a year or so and he comes back and they're rejecting him. The people whom he was their spiritual father had turned their back on him and, and they were fighting with one another and the, the rich were alienating the poor and, and they were fighting over God's gifts. And, and If it wasn't worth it, then Paul should have said, you know what, you guys have fun with that. I'm going somewhere else. Maybe a deserted island. <laughs> but Paul's life was a testimony of this axiom by R. Kent Hughes. Weakness invites God's strength. Paul's life was a testimony to it, and our lives should be a testimony to that as well. 
Again, the value of the gospel is, is displayed in the, in the sacrifice and the suffering of God's servants. And this may mean the physical suffering like you hear about in, in other countries. But there are other ways that we suffer simply by living in this fallen world. Sometimes we glorify God as we deal with physical illness. Sometimes we glorify God as we deal with difficult relational circumstances. These are all opportunities to do so. And it's important that we remember that the growth of the church is actually fertilized by the sacrifices of God's people. How we suffer strengthens the church. And again, for us, for many of us, that, that suffering is going to take a, a different form than, than maybe what's going on in, in a country like Nigeria. But the suffering is real nonetheless. We have problems, do we not? We, we have broken relationships in our families. We have illnesses that are being dealt with. Some are chronic. Some are lifelong some are only for a season. We struggle. But how we do these things well can serve to strengthen one another's faith. It can serve to, to strengthen our love and care for one another as the body of Christ. Our lives, no matter what we face, whether it's times of, uh, of joy or struggle, our lives should reveal the treasure that we have within us as the followers of Christ. That is God's call on our lives, brothers and sisters. Quickly, let's move on. God's, our, our faithfulness and, and God's continued glory, verses 13 through 15. Don't worry, these two points are shorter. Paul continues, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now don't lose sight, Paul is not leaving his suffering behind. In fact, that, that quote there, I believed and so I spoke, is actually a, a, a quote from Psalm 116 which is a psalm of suffering. But we see here in these verses that Paul suffered, but, but he did not waver in his faithfulness. He continued to trust. He continued to serve the churches well. Again, Psalm 116 is a, is a psalm of suffering. I'm just going to read the first 10 verses to you. Psalm 116, beginning at verse 1. The psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, that's the place of the dead, laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you.
For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So he's saying, I trusted even at the time I was expressing the affliction that I was going through. My faith sustained me at my time of need. And then in Psalm 116 continues, he goes on to say, and because of this, I'm going to remain faithful to my vows to the Lord. And, and those are the type of things that wrap up the rest of that psalm. Paul, who by his own words felt like he was in a constant state of dying for the sake of the gospel, continued to proclaim the gospel. And he remained faithful because he knew that God is faithful. If it was up simply to Paul's efforts... If Paul didn't have a, a greater view of who was at work in his circumstances, don't you think he, like us, would have been quick to give up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Brothers if it, and sisters, if it was dependent on the pastors and the elders and, and the teachers in the context of the church, if it was up to them to actually bring about change in the life of the church, They'd all give up. Not just here, but, but anywhere. Because we understand that the change that, that God requires is a change that only God can bring about. Now we can exhort and, and, and help make Scripture clear and plead for you to believe and, and respond in faith. But God is the one that has to do the work. And you are the ones that have to respond to the work of the Spirit of God in your lives. So Paul didn't give up when the church in Corinth had no respect for his ministry. Paul didn't give up when there were those in the church that were slandering him. Paul didn't give up as he wrote to the Philippians when he was in jail and there was those out preaching the gospel simply to torment him. Because he understood the building of the church is a work of God. Praise God for his faithfulness. And Paul also knew that God's faithfulness, faithfulness meant ultimately victory for him and an even greater glory to God. He goes on to say, listen, there's going to be the day that comes when we are all raised up before Christ and it's going to be glorious. And there are lessons that we can learn, brothers and sisters. First of all, we must adopt Paul's perspective and approach to serving God. Number one, we must realize that no matter what we do, it is the highest calling on our lives. Fathers, it is your job to make sure that this truth, this treasure is faithfully proclaimed to your children. Mothers, you do it as well. But fathers, you need to set the temperature in your home as such that reflects the treasure of the gospel. It is of primary importance in every human relationship we have, even with other believers. As we care for one another, as we suffer... <laughs> 
We need to remind them of God's faithfulness and the great price that was paid, which is the clearest picture of the love of God for the people of God. So we must adopt this same perspective and approach to serving God. And if we believe, we must proclaim his greatness, especially when we suffer. Any suffering. Suffering in persecution, suffering as a result of living in this fallen world. So whether you are sick, whether you're being persecuted, whether there are other problems in your life, your conflicts that you're involved in, your greatest goal should not be to win, but to glorify God and reflect the treasure of the gospel and the work of God in your life. Our faith must be firmly rooted in Christ and all that he has secured for us. We must live and die praising God for his goodness. And as we pursue this level of faithfulness to the gospel, this will create more worshipers of God. That's verse 17, or 15. More and more thanksgiving will increase as the people of God are faithful to the treasure that we have received. Finally, verses 16 through 18, strengthened by God's future glory. Paul continues, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, are passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We may not face the same persecution as the Apostle Paul, but did you know our outer selves are wasting away as well? Well, if you don't know it now, wait till you get about my age. You'll be reminded every time you get out of bed that you're wasting away. Paul's wasting away was due to the scars and the beatings that he bore as an Apostle. But ours are wasting away as well. But Paul points to a greater renewal that is taking place that is far better than surgeries and liposuction or any other thing that medical science can do to make our bodies look and feel better. There's a greater renewal that we need. And that's the inward renewal that goes on as we look to the eternal things of God. By looking to the eternal, verse 18, Paul found that his spiritual renewal was taking place even as he suffered physically. And by looking to the eternal, Paul found perspective as he suffered. He was able to remain faithful because he understood that God was at work in the midst of his suffering. Brothers and sisters, earthly affliction prepares God's people to truly experience his eternal glory. I think about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul by Horatio Spofford. Many of you know the story. Uh, he lost, he wrote this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. We've sung it many times following the death of four of his daughters in a shipwreck. What you may not know is that two years before he lost his daughters, he actually lost his four-year-old son 
to scarlet fever. So this is a man who was acquainted with loss and grief. But as he sailed across the Atlantic, when he got to the place where roughly he lost his daughters in the shipwreck, he penned the words to this hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when, my, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is the man who had lost all of his daughters at that point. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And here, that look to the eternal. O oh, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Had he simply looked at the grief and the loss that was set before him, there would never be a verse 4. But he knew that there were greater days ahead. Not greater circumstances in this life. Yes, he went on to, to have more children and, and even lost another one to scarlet fever. Yes, he still had his wife. Yes, they still had ministry. But none of those things sustain. Only an eye to what is to come. The, the greater glory. When our faith becomes sight, when we realize that, that everything that we lost and suffered for the sake of the gospel well, was worth it. It was a, a, a small price to pay. It does not even come close to what we have in Jesus. That's when we truly learn to overcome in this life. And that is what we need, brothers and sisters. This isn't pat answers. These are not pie in the sky, by and by, feel-good statements that we make. This is truth that we need to be faithful. We need to understand that the day is coming. And Romans chapters 8 and 9 describe this beautifully. <laughs> the day is coming when not only are we reconciled and, and reunited with, with, with our Savior physically, but we are vindicated in the eyes of the world that we believed the truth. We want to be justified now. Well, that's not going to happen all the time in the sight of man. We've been justified by God and the day is coming when that justification in Christ is going to be proclaimed throughout the universe and every person that has lived, is living, or will live, believer and unbeliever alike, will see once and for all that our faith in Christ was not in vain. 
You don't need to be justified in the eyes of the world now because you have been justified in the sight of God. It is better to be wronged and remain faithful than, than, than to sin in our efforts to, to seek to be justified in the sight of man. And Paul knew this, and he endured faithfully. This is how he writes about these trials. He calls them light and momentary. There was nothing in an earthly perspective light and momentary about what Paul endured. I would have given up probably day one with all that Paul endured, looking at how soft I am now. But prison, rejection, illness, shipwreck, even ultimately giving his own life, he says is light and momentary because he understood that there was something greater in his future. Brothers and sisters, a key to our perseverance when we suffer is found in God's promises for our future with him eternally. And I would encourage you to make that the goal of your study. As you search scriptures, write down promises that God has made for his people in Christ eternally. Write it down. When you suffer, you go back and you read it. And then you read it again. And read it again and again and again until you believe it. And then you stand firm. And brothers and sisters, this is the one that is the most obvious, but probably what we need to hear the most. It really should not surprise us when we suffer in this fallen world. It does surprise us, right? But we should not be surprised. But what we should be is prepared spiritually for when it comes. Because we don't know when it's going to come. We just know it will. So it's better that we equip ourselves beforehand. Not that God is not faithful if we haven't. He is, right? We have, many of us have had things that are sprung upon us that we were not ready for. And we've experienced God's grace and his faithfulness. But oh, brothers and sisters, how much more joy we will have if we are equipping ourselves now for what is to come later. Make it your goal, brothers and sisters, to know God as he's revealed himself in his word, to know his promises as he's revealed himself in his word. Piper speaks to this powerfully. He says, people are not prepared or able to rejoice in suffering unless they experience a massive biblical revolution. What a great phrase. Of how they think and feel about the meaning of life. Human nature, and yes, even the American culture, make it impossible to rejoice in suffering. This is a miracle in the human soul wrought by God through his word. May God work this miracle in each one of us. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would indeed work this miracle within us. Lord, for the unbelievers among us, I pray that you would first work the miracle of salvation in their hearts and minds. And for the rest of us, Lord, would you be at work bringing about a willingness to suffer well and in faith for the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord, for the seasons that we do not suffer. And thank you, Lord, for the seasons that we do as they often draw us closer to you in faith. 
Do your work in your people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.